everybody, and welcome back to the show. In today's special episode, we're talking with Anne McPherson, who's a stage manager on Broadway and has more credits than I can count. We're going to hear what it's like to be a substitute crew member. That's right, someone who covers a crew member on Broadway. And let me tell you, it's going to blow your mind. But before we do that, if you haven't listened to the introductory episode, please take a moment to do that now. All right, places for top of show. Anne McPherson is a stage manager and assistant stage manager extraordinaire, named one of the 50 women to watch on Broadway by Broadway's Women's Fund. She also sometimes serves as a short-term assistant stage manager, also known as a substitute stage manager when someone calls out. So yes, she's a cover too. On Broadway, she has subbed on Holiday Inn, M. Butterfly, Wicked, Les Mis, Pippin, Motown, Mary Poppins, and Phantom of the Opera, just to name a few. A Jill of all trades, she's also the head of stage management at Mason Gross School of the Arts at Rutgers University. And I want to give a special shout out to Kate Dial, who had the brilliant idea of interviewing crew subs in the first place. So thanks, Kate, for that. Anne, welcome to the show, my old friend. How are you? Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. This was such a, I mean, such an incredible connection because we have known each other for 20 years, but rarely see each other. And Kate Dial, I met when I was a sub stage manager on a show that she was the full-time contract ASM for. So this is just proof that there are only 12 people in theater. <laughs> yeah, amazing. And I didn't know it was you. And I don't think you knew it was me because of no. course we've been married and our last names have changed. And so- it was really fun to connect with you since our Yale days way back when. So incredible. Such a treat. So let's get into this. I have so many questions for you. Can you first start out by just telling us what a stage manager does or an assistant stage manager, which we will call an ASM throughout the show, just so that our listeners out there know who may not be familiar with all the backstage stuff that goes on? Absolutely. Essentially, boiling it down, the stage manager is sort of the hub of the wheel of the entire production. Um, we know literally everybody's business. We know the needs of all of the actors, the design team, the director, the choreographers, the fight people, all of the crew needs, everything that everyone needs to do in order to achieve the production um, is something that we're aware of and constantly advocating for and helping to smooth the path for. Um, the goal for every performance is that the audience will see the show on performance 500 that the opening night audience got to see and the people facilitating that and empowering everybody to do their best version of the show in collaboration with all of each other is the stage management team. So we call all of the technical cues and we manage backstage traffic flow. Um, we help rehearse understudies and performance swings um, and support crew when their swings are in and out and so on and so forth. And of course, sometimes we get sick and we take vacation also. And that's where stage management swings and subs come in as well. So that's sort of the nutshell of what we do. You'll find us backstage helping people out and you'll also find us sitting with a script calling all of the technical cues. Yes, you guys are absolutely indispensable. And so most people who only know a sort of overview of theater think about maybe the actor or the director, but they're kind of unaware about that person who's in the middle of it all, just like what you're saying, who's connecting the directorial needs with, say, the costume department and also handling all the props and making sure those get to the actors or get to the rehearsal space or get to the venue on time and taking care of costume notes. And I mean, you guys do so much to make the show run. So I'm so, so excited to have you here to talk about not only the job that you do, but 
how you substitute in to do the job when you're not in rehearsal every day. So most of the time, your stage manager is going to be in rehearsal from the very, very beginning, of course, and they're going to have their assistants there because as you say, they're responsible for making the show run and they need to know every little thing that goes on in rehearsal so that they can be on top of that and communicate that to all the other teams. But once in a while, hey, you guys are human, you get sick, things happen. And so can you tell us what it is like to substitute in that role? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't even tell you, like, I am grinning ear to ear, just appreciating that somebody other than a stage manager has an appreciation and an understanding for what we do. Um, because a lot of the time we are so busy helping everybody else that um, we can be a little bit invisible. So this is just already such a delight. What I'll say is it's not a particularly easy position to be in being a sub because when you're the stage manager everyone is counting on you um and so being a sub stage manager is for the most part kind of like getting shot out of a cannon yeah. details are really really important and nuance is a huge part of um sort of the sensitivity that we bring to the job because we people are not robots all of the people that we're helping and supporting backstage are human beings with feelings actors performing in front of an audience are in an incredibly vulnerable position and the support that we give them has to be sensitive to that and so sort of showing up and winging it is not the the name of the game, being super prepared, knowing what the contingencies are, um, remembering people's names is a challenge in and of itself, especially because people look different in costume than they do out of costume. And Good you kind point. of need to know, right? Like who is running up to me telling me that they hurt their ankle and they can't be in the show anymore? Exactly. As a substitute, like we said, you haven't been there since day one. You're subbing in, you're coming in Oh my gosh. And so many questions, so many questions. Yeah. Can you, okay. Just give us an example, pick any show that you've done. Give us an yeah. example of something that like you're responsible for, right? Like a quick change or coming on or off something that's happened either as a sub or just when you're working, um, not as a substitute. So we can get a general idea of maybe the kinds of things that you handle when the show's going on. Sure. So um, we could talk about how to start the performance when you're the calling stage manager, right? Um, so this is something that if you're calling the show as a sub, you're as responsible for all of the duties that a full-time stage manager would be responsible for when they're calling the show. And so you have to sit on headset, recognizing the voices of all of the people that you can't see in person. You're checking in with every single member of the crew who's on headset. You're coordinating with the deck stage managers because the people backstage um, are eyes and ears for the calling stage manager. And they're the ones who are going to tell you if places is happening or if people are running behind on their schedule. You're also talking to the front of house personnel and making sure that the audience is going to be ready to start. Or maybe they need a hold because um, there's rain and transit is behind and it will just be better for everybody if we start three minutes late. You're checking in with the conductor if it's a musical and making sure that all the members of the band are ready to go. And then you have to look down at your script, know what the show is supposed to look like when it starts and start calling cues, even if you haven't been there for four weeks, right? Um, and so you'll sit down, you'll look at your script, um, you have to turn on a bunch of cue lights, make sure that you've checked all of the boxes, take an enormously deep breath, and then cue the conductor, right? And once the conductor gives that upbeat and the band starts playing, there's no turning back. 
right? Oh my God. Oh my um, God. And the, the overture starts. You have to call the house lights down. You have to call the curtain up. You have to call the beginning of the automation cues. The chorus is going to start singing. And there's this just enormous, um, I describe to my students the feeling of starting Wicked. You don't get a break in Wicked until about 12 minutes into the show. And so starting that show feels like going down a hill on a bicycle without brakes where you're responsible for everybody else's safety, right? Glinda oh is God. in the air. When you start the show, you've sent Glinda to sit up there in the rafters and you have to bring her in on schedule, right? Safely and on schedule. And so that the audience has this remarkable experience of Glinda floating in the air surrounded by bubbles. And the only reason she's coming in on time with the music is because you clicked the cue light at the correct time and called mm. the light cue to coordinate those bubbles at the right time. That's the calling stage manager's job. And sometimes you haven't been there for a month. So how do you prepare as the sub stage manager to make sure that everyone is done justice? Well, that's um, what I was going to ask you, because if you're not technically hired to be the stage manager or on the crew as an ASM with the show at the beginning, how do they find someone that can substitute for someone and then literally how do you learn the show so that when you're needed, you know what to do? So how you find substage managers in the New York region, I should say, is truly word of mouth. Um, people will recommend people that have been strong and safe subs in the past. And the more you do it, the more you develop a muscle for being able to do it. So I'm going to get on a tiny bit of a soapbox for a hot second because the equity contract and equity is the union for actors and stage managers. Surprise, surprise. The equity contracts don't entirely support sub-stage managers as much as they support full-time actors and stage managers. Um, and so there is no guarantee that we're going to be called on a regular schedule. Um, we're paid on a per-performance basis and we're not... Um, there's no mandate that we be asked to come back as a sort of regular rehearsal or anything like that. And um, the most of the contracts only require that you be paid for two performances of shadowing before you can be left to your own devices. And so on a scary and dangerous show, if we want to continue the example of Wicked, right, that they have an established routine for training stage managers at Wicked because they've been open for 800 billion years. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Where the whole front office team, all of the people responsible for money, right. Mm -hmm. They know that no stage manager can safely learn that show in the two minimum performances required by contract. And so they have a different system and they pay for the sub-stage managers to be trained in a safe and appropriate way. Um, but on a show that's just getting up and running, it's harder for the full-time stage managers to advocate for the time that they need to safely train a sub which means that a lot of us in this position who have the skill set and are called for this do a ton of work for free because we care about the performance. We care about the team that has brought us in to be their surrogate when they need to be out. And we care about uh, the safety of everyone involved in the show. And so 
a lot of the time, if we know that we're only going to get the two performances or maybe three performances of training before we fly solo, before you fly solo on a call or fly solo on the deck, which just means that no one is supervising you anymore, you are the person doing the job. Sometimes we'll schedule it in a staggered way so that we'll be in the building shadowing and then working on our own and then back in the building practicing while being shadowed and then working on our own so that we can build in our own private rehearsal time just to make sure that everything is in our brains and in our bodies and covered. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You have two days mm -hmm. to learn the entire show? Ideally not, um, but our contract doesn't require more. The collective bargaining uh, just, agreement does not I'm, require more. I'm yep. speechless. Yeah. Right now, quite it's honestly. Wild. It's wild. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I, I do work with the union. I'm an, I'm actually a stage management delegate for our region, the Eastern region to the equity convention. And I understand how union negotiations work. I understand that the person who gets the least advocacy is the person who works the absolute least. And that person is the short term stage manager. And so there are much larger negotiating priorities when the union is at the table with producers making stronger work rules but the fact we, remains the fact that, remains that we're doing all of this free labor in order to ensure that the shows are safe and well taken care of wow i mean as someone who is so familiar with the union and who's often in the room what do you think needs to happen or needs to change or what would you like to see happen and change you know, this amazing thing just happened um, just a couple of months ago. You know, when we're recording this, you and I right now, um, we're post-Omicron surge and maybe facing the BA2 surge. Who knows? Question mark. Maybe, oh, my maybe, gosh. Maybe, maybe, oh, my gosh. My shoulder. My God. Yeah. Um, but in the heat of the Omicron surge, um, the head of the main bargaining entity for commercial producers in New York stepped right into the mud because she was talking about while people were just dropping like flies because they were getting sick in their working conditions in a pandemic. She was complaining about having to cancel performances and blamed it on under-rehearsed swings and subs. That's right. That's um, right. We're talking about the Broadway League president, Charlotte St. Martin. Mm -hmm. We sure are. And she had no idea what she was talking about, and she was very quickly called out and apologized for it. But she said the quiet part out loud. And I think that puts us in a great position the next time we're coming back to the table to get better protections for swings and subs in the performing companies and better protections for the short-term ASMs who support the equity stage managers um, and have even less strength in these contracts, right? Swings yeah. and sub performers are full time in the building. And there are vacation swings and covers and so on, but they're guaranteed a minimum one week. They aren't paid per performance. Uh -huh, but uh -huh. the stage managers are not guaranteed any work. They're just paid per performance. And so I mm. think that, you know, in a world in which a rising tide can lift all boats, the strength that we'll get from Charlotte St. Martin's just massive misstep saying the quiet part out loud, I hope will lead to better protections for both onstage performers and stage managers the next time we go to the bargaining table. Me too. Me too. And I think you hit the nail on the head, like with Omicron and we're really witnessing how indispensable 
the covers, understudies, swings, substitutes are, that we can open that conversation and say stuff out loud and say, listen, we're indispensable. You need us and we work really hard and we should have, you know, we should have some negotiating power here to maybe up the salary or at least what you're saying, you know, to get a minimum for those substitute crew members like a vacation swing or something like that so that you have the money to do stuff as an artist in New York City, which is hard enough as it is, right? That's exactly right. And I just, you know, all of us that have been doing this for so long as performers, as stage managers, anyone who works in theater already knew how indispensable swings and understudies are and sub-stage managers and sub-crew members and so on. Um, And now the world gets to know because we made headlines. Yes. Yes, exactly. Snaps, snaps. So I want to get out of the union bubble for a second. Sure. Can you tell me, because you have done so many Broadway shows, it is nuts. Do you have any fun stories you can tell us about stuff that either went wrong on a show or that was funny to you or something that went awesome, like it was super hard and it went right? Like, what can you dig out from all of your days in the show and like share with us? My good memories are of like foolishness, right? You know, like the day that I I knew for sure that everyone on the props team at Les Mis was pals with me um, was the day when I came to check the tables that had to be preset in a particular way for a particular feast and like tucked underneath certain props that were on these tables. There were like six or seven rubber chickens just hiding all over this table, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it's like little things like that, that like I'll, I'll never forget those just like absolutely delightful surprises when it was very clear that I was trusted. I just love so much. When I subbed on um, M. Butterfly, um, which was such a short run, but it was such a great building to walk into, I knew the PSM from, actually the PSM was our PSM on the coast of Utopia. It was Bob Bennett. Um, Oh, yay, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. And adored him. Didn't know the ASM. Immediately became tight with him. Um, I knew a bunch of the crew and they had all been through this really difficult tech and they were like, oh my gosh, thank God you're here. Right. And they immediately folded me in. Um, And as soon as I started flying solo on that deck track, I would find notes from the ASM tucked into prop pieces that I was supposed to check the preset for. Um, And they were just like little love notes saying, have a wonderful show. And then in parentheses at the bottom of every single one of those notes, it would say, P.S., please remove this, right? Like, don't leave this in the prop that's going to go on stage and be interacted with by the actors, which just like all of that is a total treat. And I saved one of those notes and I keep it on my wall in my home office um, because it's such a good memory, you know? Um, So it's it's those little things that, you know, when you're a sub, um, you can't take it personally if you're not family with everybody, right? Because you didn't go through it with them. But so much of the time people welcome you in anyway. Amazing. Amazing. So let me ask you, let's go way back. How did you, as a kid, what were you into? Like, how did you know about the stage management world? When was the first time that you discovered what all this was and that you wanted to maybe pursue it? 
you know, as a kid, I didn't. Um, as a kid, I was uh, actually a performer and a singer. Um, I sang with the Canadian Children's Opera Chorus forever. And when I think back to those times, because the Canadian Children's Opera Chorus actually fed into the Canadian Opera Company, right? So like as an, as a, I can't remember how old I was now. I, um, I was in the Children's Chorus in Carmen on stage at the Canadian Opera Company. And I swear to you, I have no memory of the stage managers on that show. I truly only remember the other kids. Um, I was just totally unaware that it was even a viable career path until I got to college and, you know, was in the theater department as a freshman and running around and trying to be everybody's best friend and be in all the shows. And when I didn't get cast in one of the shows that I wanted to be in, the director asked me to stage manage. And that was the first time that I had ever paid attention to the concept of stage management. And I picked up a book about it over the winter break before coming back for the spring semester to be a stage manager for the first time. And I realized almost instantaneously, it was like a bolt of lightning that I was playing to every single one of my strengths and all of the insecurities that I felt as a performer weren't part of the equation. In oh, this wow. Role. It oh, was wow. Like, I was just hit by lightning. I and I never stopped like in that moment at the very beginning of my spring semester of my freshman year in college at a tiny liberal arts college. I just where did you wait, 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 sorry. where did you go to school? Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? So I grew up in Toronto, Canada, um, and then I started going to Interlochen Arts Camp back when it was National Music Camp, that ages me, in Michigan uh, when I was a kid. I went to Interlochen Arts Academy for my senior year of high school, and from there I went to Reed College. And Reed College is just a teeny tiny liberal arts school in the Pacific Northwest. I wanted to, I, I did think that I was going to be a performer. You know, I graduated from Interlochen. I was going to be a famous actor. Um, there are famous actors from my graduating senior class in high school school. Um, and I just thought that was my path. But I thought I I don't want to go to a conservatory for acting because I don't want to be surrounded by people that are just like me when I'm 17 years old. I want to know people that like other things and know things about other things if I because actors don't play actors, actors play people. Um, yeah. So I wanted to be surrounded by people and thank God, because I love this career. Right. And so I had this opportunity in this particular environment to try something that I wouldn't have been able to try in a conservatory environment. And so I did about five or six shows every school year, just like on the side, not for any course credit, because there was no stage management program. I was just stage managing all the time. But because there was no stage management program, I was like, but what if I'm just making this up? Right. I read this one book. What do I know? I'm just following my instincts, doing all of this stuff. And that's how you and I ultimately met because I chose to go to graduate school at Yale. Um, yes. I shouldn't just say I chose, like I didn't just like walk in the door and say, you know, I, you know, I, <laughs> that's I where I'd like to go. Excellent. I was waitlisted, right? So I was taken off of the waitlist and got into Yale. Ah. Yeah. So, you know, don't give up is the message to everyone listening to this now. And I got my equity card at Yale and um, hit the business as soon as I graduated with my MFA. Man, this yeah. is crazy. I love this. I love that you teach also. And I'm really hoping our friends and our colleagues in, on Broadway will get a chance to listen to this and the word will spread. But also to all of the youth out there and the students who 
maybe don't know about that path. Like you were saying, mm -hmm. like maybe they're a performer, but there's something in their head or they just haven't tried it out yet. And so I'm hoping this opens the door to them also and makes their little brains explode to say, wait a second, like there's something else out there and maybe I should give that a try. And hey, look at all the cool stuff, <laughs> you know, that that it entails and what a difficult job, but a rewarding job it can be. I have zero regrets. I, I love the life that I live. I love doing what I do because I feel completely fulfilled, not because I'm making money because a lot of the times I'm not, um, <laughs> but because I, I, you know, if I were a different kind of person, then I would get a nine to five job. But I, I can't actually imagine that um, because I just love my job so much. What are you doing now? Are you stage managing or ASMing on something now? Or do you have something coming up in the future? Like what's floating around for you right now? So this has been my first year as the head of the stage management program at Mason Gross at Rutgers. And uh, while I've been, you know, teaching full time and learning everything I can about the program, it's really important to me that that the students have a working stage manager as their teacher. Theater technology changes, theater practice uh, evolves. Um, and I don't want to ever be teaching if I'm not doing. So while I've been teaching, I've also done a handful of um, small projects over the course of this past year. Last fall, I worked with this group of performers and producers that I adore that I've been working with on and off since 2010, actually. They're a company in New York called Fiasco. And I just did a project with them last week, actually, um, that we wrapped up on this past Saturday. And actually, in December, up until the first week in February, I was subbing. Um, there was a production of a one-woman show, a renowned one-woman show that Lily Tomlin starred in back in the day called The Search for Signs of Intelligent Life in the Universe. And um, again, in the heat of the Omicron surge, there was concern that only one person on that show knew the call. And that person who was the PSM, who was building the call for that show during tech and previews, um, spoke to general management and said, what if I get sick? Nobody else can call this show except for me. Um, that feels tenuous. That feels scary. None of us has control over COVID. And the general manager completely understood, which is so supportive and needs to be celebrated by like throw a ticker tape parade for the general manager that understands that supporting the show sometimes means hiring additional personnel. Right. Yes. Um, and yes. I got it right. I mean, like, yes, so that's huge. Rare. Yeah, huge. I'm fireworks in the sky, a full orchestra, you know, just and I was brought in with, you know, as usual, 24 hours notice, I got a phone call. And then that night I was watching the performance. And then the next day, I was on contract in the building, shadowing the PSM as he teched the show during previews, mm. um, learning the call from scratch, and keeping up on all of the changes that happened during tech, so that if anything were to have happened to him, the show wouldn't would be able to continue. And it you know, I did my homework every single day. I actually still have the rehearsal calling box set up sitting right next to me on my desk at the at my home office right now. Yes, yes, um, and you right? you sent me pictures of different calling boxes. Can you explain what a calling box is because this is a great segue into some of our behind the scenes content. So, can sure. you Yeah, what is a calling box? That's the phrase that many of us use when we talk about actually what a cue light box is. Um and you know, there's a whole bunch of equipment that we have at our disposal when we're calling a show, right? We have monitors that 
have video feeds of different angles of the stage, um, and sometimes a video of the conductor, and sometimes a video of this one piece of automation scenery and all of that stuff. Um, so we have a whole array of um, screens in front of us, and then we have a communication system, which we call COM, and that <laughs> has different channels to talk to all sorts of different kinds of people backstage. And we can also make announcements backstage. In emergencies, we can make announcements to the audience. These are all contingencies that we're set up to be able to do. And we wear a headset to talk to all of those people. And then there's an additional visual communication system that we have with automation carpenters, who are the people who run the computers that run the technology for scenery that moves that isn't pushed by humans, but is um, chain motors or um, if it's an auto fly system, then it's a winch and a motor, and they need to be really focused on what they're looking at on their computers. And so ideally, we're not using our words unless we need to troubleshoot a difficulty. And so for them, for people that are running the fly system, because they need both hands to pull those ropes, and so they can't be talking unless there's an emergency, sometimes for actors, for all sorts of different reasons, we have this nonverbal communication system set up called Q-Lights. And um, in essence, think about a light switch in your living room right? You flip the switch up and the light in your living room comes on. You flip the switch down and the light in your living room goes off. But in the theater building, the switch is at the calling station. And that's what our that's what our box is. It's the cue light box. And, and it goes to a light bulb somewhere backstage, either facing the crew or facing the actors in the wings. Sometimes there's one underneath the audience sitting in the balcony. We call that the balcony rail so that an actor can look straight out into the audience and see a light switch that the stage manager has control over. And there'll be different colors. Um, so depending on the color, it will, uh, mean a different thing to the person looking at it. It can sometimes mean when the cue light goes off, that's your time to enter the stage. When the cue light goes off, that's your time to start this next song. When the cue light that's goes exactly off. That's exactly right. Yeah. It can mean a variety of different things. So exactly. So sometimes we're saying the word go to different people doing different cues. And sometimes we're just turning a light on, which means standby or warning. And then when we turn it off, it means go for whatever it is, the entrance or the piece of automation scenery or the flying piece or whatever it is. And all of that has to be rehearsed by us so that we're turning off the light at the correct time so that the audience sees something beautifully synced up with music that's also safe. Ooh. And, and so it's yeah. so hard. I mean, you guys really are the wizards behind the magic in so many cases. And I'm just so grateful and appreciative that you came on the pod today. And again, a shout out to Kate Dial, because this was just such a great idea to have a substitute crew member who can speak to what you guys do, because you guys are the unsung heroes as well. And you don't get the credit that you deserve. And I am so, so happy that you came on the show and that we could hear a little bit about what you guys do. And for all of our listeners out there, if you go to the website, which is www.waitinginthewingsbroadway.com, and you become a patron and subscribe to help us, you know, with the show then you get access to all the behind the scenes content. And Anne has just sent over to me some awesome stuff. Anne, do you want to tell us, speaking of these cue boxes, what some of the behind the scenes content is for our listeners who subscribe? So, you know, as a stage manager, uh, you always want to be prepared, right? And so every time I walk into a new building, the one of the first things that I do when I'm getting the tour from the person who's training me is the minute I see the calling position, I take 
pictures of it all so that I can recreate some sort of version of it for my own rehearsal setup at home in my home office. Um, and so in my archives, I have all of these pictures of all of these different calling position setups. Um, and so what I sent to Amanda is um, lots of things that look different and serve the same function. So there's pictures from the Phantom Tour setup. There's the Wicked position. There's Les Mis where like I didn't create something that was switches, but I printed out a piece of paper and would just put my finger where my finger was supposed to go and just taped it to a desktop printer. I mean, it's so nerdy and so silly, but that's that's the gig. That's what we do. Uh, if you're an aspiring young stage manager, maybe it'll inspire you. I know that it will. And it's also just super interesting to see what you guys do and how you do it for anybody out there who's never seen it. It's a really interesting backstage inside Broadway peak of how things happen. So, Anne McPherson, you have been a delight. Thank you so much for coming on the pod today. We wish you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for spotlighting stage management. This is such a gift to our community, and I'm so grateful. And it's been such a treat catching up with you. Hey, guys, Amanda here. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit the website, www.waitinginthewingsbroadway.com, and unlock some of that awesome behind-the-scenes content. Thanks.